All right, I want to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, and we are in chapter 6, verse 10. We're coming into the home stretch of this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and um, this, this passage is really, in some ways, a culmination of all that Paul has done up to this point. He's, de- he's definitely making a turn and is going to wrap everything up. But I, I want to remind you, we started here in August, and I specifically referenced this passage then as a way of, of really receiving all that he would say along the way, and then here we are again. So let me read verses 10 through 13. And uh, then we'll dive in. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. That word finally is the signal that he is wrapping things up. It's a definitive marker that based on everything that you've heard up to this point, here we go. Here's here's kind of the so what in some ways of the letter. And I did think about this, that after all that has been revealed about us in chapters 1 through 3, remember the book's in two halves, and then all that's been commanded in the second half, chapters 4 through the beginning of 6, in light of all of that, we probably respond in one of a couple of ways naturally. The first would be that we uh, could be prone to lose heart. I mean, there's been a lot there. And we've been doing it, you know, bits and pieces along the way. But if you had heard this whole letter for the very first time, all in one sitting, it would be easy to become overwhelmed. You could hear it all and think, I'm sorry, it's just too much. Or some of you could hear this and think, I got it. It's self-will. It's like, I'm going to reach down deep inside and get her done. Both of these responses are really due to a poor estimation of self. One is kind of being overwhelmed with the deficiency, and one is not recognizing the deficiency at all. For both of those groups, Paul offers a word not to the wise, but to the weak. He's saying, this is your condition. All of you are weak. And in light of that, and in light of everything that's been said, here's what's next. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, again, when we hear that in our English translation, we're like, be strong, get tough, dig down deep, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, rub some dirt on it, right? That's not what he's saying here. Actually, the... The better understanding of this phrase, I'll just kind of read it out in, a, in an explanatory sort of way. He's saying, be strengthened in the Lord. It's a passive. It's happening to you. 
be strengthened in the Lord. And then he's explaining, that is, in the strength of his might, put in parentheses, not your own. That's, that's how we need to understand how to respond to all that we've heard up to this point. So for those who are losing heart, they need to know that God can supply everything that you need to do what he's called you to do. Have you guys heard that before? Now, having said that, we have to seize what he supplies. I'll I'll get more into that in a little bit. For those who are self-reliant, he would say, you can't access what God supplies as long as you are depending on yourself. Let's think about the book of Ephesians this way. Let's just say that Ephesians chapters 1 through 6, 9 represents a foot race to Chicago. Okay, it's about 500 miles. I don't know how many runners we have here, but that's a long ways. Those who lose heart in this response, they would just say, again, it's, it's too much, it's too far, it's beyond me, it's just not even worth trying. So they actually never get started. Those who are self-reliant, they just take off running. And they're just kind of going, they don't need anyone or anything because they would say to themselves, I got me and that's all I need. Now, neither of those two are going to make it to Chicago because you got to have what you don't possess to run the race. So those who are strong in the Lord, here's what they do. They get the best gear. They find a coach. They stop at every aid station along the way to be rehydrated and get some nutrition, maybe to get some rest. And it really doesn't even matter how long it takes to get there. They just stay at it day after day after day. They just make a little more progress. Those people, because they're not leaning into their own strength in any way other than to take hold of the provisions that are made for them, they get there eventually. That's the picture that Paul is painting it reminded me of John 15, 5, words that Jesus said. Remember, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, that, that's a similar idea of getting being strengthened by the strength of the Lord. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. You get to Chicago. And you, you walk in a different way than you would without the strengthening of the Lord. And here's why. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, make no mistake, it is impossible to live the life that Paul has outlined throughout this letter apart from his strengthening. So we want to be clear about that. But the life Paul commands us to live is not impossible. It just has to be done on his terms. There's a way to go about it. So that's where we get in verse 11. 
Paul starts to spell out the reality and the requirements of this kind of life. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I just kind of summarize it this way. Suit up to stand firm. Suit up to stand firm. And there's three parts of this uh, phrase in verse 11. There's an aim, there's a strategy, and there's an adversary. The aim is, at the end of it, to stand against the schemes of the devil. We also find out there's an adversary there. Our strategy for achieving that aim is putting on, or in verse 13, taking up the whole armor of God. So the flow of Paul's thought is, if we will arm ourselves as he commands, we will stand. There is a great sense of assurance about that. It's not just a kind of, you can hope for the best. He's saying, if you'll follow my instructions, you'll stand. It won't be easy. It may be very painful, but you will stand. You will remain faithful. Now, to stand is an act of resistance. So those who are standing don't get pushed around. In fact, they push back in a real healthy kind of way. And I wondered, I mean, we've all heard kind of the armor of God, right? And it's just a beautiful thing that here's Paul in a prison, sitting next to a Roman guard, a soldier, and, you know, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's probably trying to think about, he's trying to write this church. He's trying to give them some encouragement and some help. And I think he looks at that soldier and he's like, yes, there it is. We're at war. And we have to be prepared appropriately with all of our gear and all that kind of stuff to fight well. And he's like, I, I think I can make some connections here between the armor, which is an illustration, and the actual provisions that God makes for his people so that they can stand in the face of their opposition. Next week, Jeff is going to get into the details of the armor, but but let's kind of suffice it to say the condition that Paul wants us to be in is spiritually secured and prayerfully poised. Spiritually secured and prayerfully poised. Now, one other thing on the whole armor idea, it's tempting to overemphasize the armor, like the belt and the shield and the helmet. Those are instructive, but that's not the point. That's the metaphor. The idea he's trying to say, let me help you understand the significance of what God actually provides, like faith, like salvation, right? Righteousness. Those are the things that God gives us in Christ so that we can fight well, live well, and finish well. From an applicational standpoint, I think it's fair to say that we don't, God doesn't put our armor on for us. He says to put it on to take it up, right? So he provides it, but you got to take it. You got to put it on. You got to walk in it, live in it. 
embrace the reality of what it represents. He expects us to utilize it. And since he's using armor imagery, he is putting us in a context of conflict and warfare. And it's unfortunate that so many people think of Christianity in such a context of passivity. And, and some of us are just naturally wired that way. You know, we just don't like to think about fighting and violence and conflict and all that kind of stuff. But, I, I mean, I hate to break it to you, but you are in a war zone all of the time. It never stops. You have an enemy that hates you. We're going to talk about him here in just a sec. He hates you more than you can actually even grasp. You could watch all the horror movies and war movies and everything else. It just doesn't approach the reality of the hatred that our enemy has for us and for God. That's where you live every day, whether it's a good day or a bad day. Whether things are going smooth or the wheels are coming off, you are in the midst of a battle. And we don't need to lose heart, and we don't need to be self-reliant. We need to lean hard into the provisions that God has made for us so that we can fight well. I love what uh, Professor Harold Honer says. He's written a great commentary on the book of Ephesians. He says, without the armor of God, it is certain, certain that believers will be deceived and defeated by those schemes of the devil. That's without the armor. And those schemes have been effective for thousands of years. This isn't a new battle. This didn't start last year. It's been going on a long time. Let's look at our adversary for just a moment. Jesus describes him this way in John 8. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Don't expect anything else from him but that. Now, with that in mind, uh, the gospel writer also says... Three times he is the ruler of this world. So he has some authority here. He's under the authority of God, but he is in a position of authority and influence. Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air. He calls him the God of this world in 2 Corinthians. He also describes men in the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So there is some concrete interactivity between this enemy and the people here on earth. Peter warns, our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So without the armor of God, the best description of us is pray. I thought of this in the first service. I'll just say it again. I'm not trying to scare you. 
I'm just trying to make sure we are all walking in some sobriety. Because it's so easy to get distracted and numbed by whatever it is we can take hold of in this world that makes things feel better for a few minutes. Uh, Bob Pine, Professor Bob Pine says this, Our response to Satan should be somewhere in between arrogance and fear. Those, those two extremes are not necessary. We need to respect his power. He has real power in this world. But we do not need to respect his authority. He has none except for what we give him in our lives. Um, in his book, The Fight, Jim White says it this way, Christian living is war. Earthly warfare is not the real warfare. It is but a faint, ugly reflection of the real thing. It is into the real war that the Christian is to plunge. So to be a Christian is to be a combatant in the invisible war. That's our reality. Let me read uh, verses, uh, verse 12 to you. Paul says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I think it's fair to say this is the most explicit reference to spiritual warfare of any in the New Testament. Now, all of us kind of respond differently to that idea of spiritual warfare. Some will kind of hold it in contempt, kind of dismiss it, diminish it. That's sort of a primitive thing. We've evolved beyond that. We're enlightened, aren't we? Others will be curious or fascinated with it, kind of like you would be with a great novel. Not really embracing the reality of it. Some become obsessed with it, and it, it just consumes every thought that they have. What? We, we don't want to land on any of those, but we do want to say, if the Bible truthfully, accurately reflects reality, and it says we're in a war zone, that there's a real enemy, and that we do have things that we can do, provisions that have been made so that we can fight well, we probably ought to take that into consideration. We probably ought to order our lives around following that instruction, that command. Paul says, we wrestle, not against flesh and blood, although I've seen many of you drive, and Kimberly has reminded me, <laughs> we wrestle behind the wheel, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood horizontally. We wrestle spiritually. That is a struggle. That's a fight. It's nothing less. It's conflict. And we wrestle against an invisible collective that is utterly committed to opposing God. You could think of it like a spiritual mafia or militia. Or, or spiritual assassins, whatever metaphor you want to use there, they are coming after all of us all of the time. And there is strategy involved. It, it's not just sort of kind of shoot from the hip every day. There's, there are schemes that the enemy uses 
to go after the people of God. Um, you guys have probably seen The Matrix. You know, take it or leave it, but it, it was a great attempt to give us a vision for what it would be like for there to be this sinister force that is operating in a very influential way in a world without those who are in the world realizing it until they see it. And then, isn't it interesting, one of the main characters in the earliest versions, he saw it and he thought, I'd rather live in the delusion than in reality of the fight. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. That's what's going on. It's an invisible war. There's a great book by that name by Chip Ingram, probably the best I've read that just informs the whole picture here around spiritual warfare. William Cook and Chuck Lawless define spiritual warfare this way. They, they call it the ongoing battle between the church and the devil and his forces with the church standing in the armor of God, defensively resisting the devil, and offensively proclaiming the gospel in a battle already won. Wonderful definition. I, I like to think of us as freedom fighters. So we're not fighting against one another. We're actually fighting to liberate those who are presently enslaved, who are under the control of our enemy. Our mission is the same as our Savior. He said he came to seek and save the lost. So we're doing kind of search and rescue, right? That's what we're about as we go into the world. Our fight is about giving life, not taking life. And that's what makes it a good fight. Paul talks about, I've fought the good fight. This is what he's talking about. He's finishing the race. So we suit up to stand firm, and we do that knowing that it's a fight to the finish, that we're never going to get out of this until we go to be with the Lord or he comes to get us. So we fight on. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Basically, he's repeating Verse 11, but there's an addition here. There's a reference to the evil day. Um, there is lots of discussion around that. I wouldn't be dogmatic. I think we can safely say that does refer to the evil that we experience each and every day. If we do live in a context of warfare, then the evil day can refer to any day and every day. But then also, it likely refers to a final and definitive day of conflict where evil will meet its end. And we look forward to that day. But if you look at some books of the Bible, that day is uh, pretty horrific. And so, Paul would like us to stand in all of those. And the strategy for standing well is taking up the armor that God has provided for us 
in the midst of battle. Let's answer this question. What does fighting actually look like? How can we know today when you leave, you go home, wherever you go, how will you know that you are fighting the good fight that God intends? Um, You may remember when we started this series, uh, that message that I gave early on, I referenced a book, Live No Lies, by John Mark Comer, and he talked a lot about our warfare with the world, the flesh, and the devil, and uh, he mentioned that God's strategy is to bring truth to bear on the lies of the enemy. So we are fighting a good fight when we are bringing the truth to bear on the lies that we think, perhaps the lies that we hear. And isn't it interesting? We've kind of come back to this a few times now. It's like, if you want to fight well, your thoughts are the last things that you ought to look to to fight well. Like you want to think these thoughts. You want to renew your mind. Because that's the only hope that you and I have against the deception of the father of lies. Here's how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So here's the deal. The war is fought right here. And if you win the war here, it makes its way here. And if it gets here, it shows up here. And how you live, how you relate to the people around you, the priorities that you have, the things that you give your life to, that's all a fruit of waging the war well in your mind. Uh, came across a guy, it, it's one of the most inspiring uh, demonstrations, I think, of fighting well that I've found, and he's an old dead guy, I mean really old, late 4th century old, a desert monk a desert father. His name's Evagrius of Pontus. And he wrote a book in his day called, I love the title, Talking Back, a Monastic Handbook for Combating Demons. I bought it. (laughs) It's really good. Mainly, I mean, there's some things in there you're like, "Mm, I'm not quite sure I get that. But it's just such a practical illustration. Here's a guy And his story is so interesting because he's very transparent about all of his temptations, trials, struggles, failures, and he basically moves out to the desert so that he can fight the fight. And here's how he does it. He basically captures thoughts that he has about all of life that seem to be in opposition to what God wants, and then he goes to the truth, so he has against the thought. Fill in the blank. And then he quotes scripture. And that's how he lived his life, the rest of his life. Have you guys heard of the seven deadlies? 
Seven deadly sins, here's the list, pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, and sloth. Those were based upon those writings that Evagrius put together in his war against temptation and sin. He said this, nothing is as conducive to pure prayer, which is where this war takes place, as reading the divine scriptures. In the time of struggle, when the demons make war against us and hurl their arrows at us, let us answer them from the Holy Scriptures. So let me give you just a couple of quick examples. In his book, Talking Back, he starts with the sin of gluttony. Now, some of you may be going, is that, real? Is that even a sin? I'm a... It is. Like, I think of it as a gateway sin. It's one of those things that, you know, it doesn't seem real bad. But the heart and the mind that fuel gluttony lead to everything else. Here's what he says. Against the thought that says to me, so this is thoughts that have crossed his mind, do not wear yourself out so unsparingly and afflict your soul by keeping vigilant. Perhaps like in fasting? And then he quotes Psalm 50, 19. A broken and contrite heart God will not despise. See, that's true. And that brings our careless thoughts into perspective. Against the thoughts that are anxious about food and clothing. We've all had them, right? Matthew 6, 25, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Well, of course. That's true. That defeats the enemy. That keeps us in a place of life in fruitfulness. For those of us who might think the thought, I just I don't know if I can get there. I just don't know if I can fight the fight. I don't know. I just don't know if I'm able. I guess on the one hand, you're not. But here's some good news, John, 1 John 4, 4. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The enemy will scream in your soul. And you can say that again and again and again. He that is in me, if he's in me, if I've entrusted my life to him by grace, through faith, if he's in me, he's greater than all the noise. And he will lead me to a place of victory in the midst of the war. I want to invite you to take a moment and ask the Lord, how do I today, let's not wait till tomorrow, next week, next year, how do I today suit up to stand firm? And whatever it is that the Holy Spirit brings to your mind there's your application. That's your so what for today. And that's going to help you to fight well 
in the days ahead. So, so grateful for God's word and an opportunity with your head still bowed and eyes still closed just to reflect on it. To allow it just to, to pour and wash over us because we are weak. We are vulnerable. We are susceptible. We are in a war. It's good to be awake and alert and aware of that. And God, we recognize that, that that war is not a battle of flesh and blood, but against these spiritual forces of evil. So just ask for each one of us that we, we would suit up in you, Jesus, every day. We need to suit up in you every day take off and to put on. Thank you for the weapons of authority that you've given us. A word that is more than ink on a page, but is made flesh. Who dwells among us and in us by your spirit. And to know that, oh God, as we look around, including inside of ourselves, that, man, that there's casualty there's scars. So we ask for your healing and your help. But just the opportunity to not dismay and not, not, not be discouraged, but, oh, God, if nothing else, to have this hope and this assurance that you are bigger and better and stronger and greater. Because sometimes we, we, we fail to see it, to recognize it, to name it, to claim it. But it's true. With you on our side, what have we to fear? With you on our side, we, we fight and pray that we fight the good fight. But we do it from a position of victory in you, Jesus. So thank you for that this day. Thank you for that every day. Thank you for the sufficiency in our weakness of your strength, of your might, of your power. We pray this with such joy and thanksgiving, and in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.